Hello and welcome to the Perusia Hour. I'm Shabal Reis, your host, and uh, very excited about today's show. <clears throat> Before I introduce my guest today, just wanted to thank everyone for participating in in this month. I mean, what an amazing <clears throat> month it's been with all these different conferences. Uh, we finished the Rosary Pilgrimage earlier this month. We then had multiple uh, events, uh, the after-divorce event. We also had Modern Saints, which had just finished um, over the weekend, and and then we had Evangelions in his name, and we also had um, participated in the uh, greatest apologetics <laughs> virtual conference ever with Matt Fred, and so all those are now complete. But in fact, uh, we've got uh, them available for purchase now. So if you've missed them, you can actually purchase them uh, on the website. If you go to the Perusia Media website, you'll see these events up there and and links, and you'll be able to purchase them. So I encourage you to do that. Um, as, as low as twenty dollars for some, I think the Apologetics ones. It's, it's the largest one, and that also has uh, that's about uh, seventy dollars there. But uh, I highly encourage you get them, and you've got some of the world's best speakers on the on the faith. We have another two coming up, <clears throat> and so the twelve forty nine, uh, which is um, with uh, World Ablaze Ministries, so that I'll, I'll probably talk about that again uh, at the very end. And then also, uh, we also have an Advent one um, coming up as well, Jesus-Centered Life, and I've got a, a special announcement next week um, about another pilgrimage coming up, so more information about that. This week is <clears throat> is a is an interesting week, the last week of October. Uh, around the world, in the Western world, Halloween is celebrated and many people just have a bit of fun with it and, and and think it's nice to dress up and but we're going to um we understand that sometimes this can expose us to some of the dark things dark side sometimes of the demonic um and and I want to discuss the the topic of exorcism there's a brand new book out by Mayus Road and the the topic is exorcism the battle against satan and his demons now <clears throat> The author is none other than Father Vincent Lampert, and he joins me live from the United States. Let's cross over to him now and talk about this brand new book. Hello, Father. How are you? I'm very good, Charbel. Thanks for having me on today. It's my a pleasure, pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're, we're on the opposite sides of the world. We're over here in, in Sydney, Australia. Uh, it's Wednesday morning, and over there it's uh, Tuesday evening, I believe. So um, It is, yes. Yeah, Tuesday evening, and it's about 8 degrees outside. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's getting cold. Um, it's actually uh, we're we're entering into summer soon, and uh, it's it's getting cold this week. So uh, it's interesting. It's cold on both ends of the world <laughs> today. Anyway, um, Father, congratulations on this book. It it, it looks very interesting. Um, I've I've just had a chance to just glance through it briefly. I can't wait to get my physical copy, um, but we're very excited to now have it available um, uh, as pre-orders on on the Perusia Media website for Australians. Um, it is already available in America uh, via the St. Paul Center website uh, and many other wherever Catholic bookstores are sold. But uh, why don't we start? Uh, I mean, wh- why the why this topic? What made you want to write this book at this particular time in your priesthood? So I've been the exorcist in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis in the state of Indiana since 2005. And the impetus to write the book was to be able to give an insight into the topic of exorcism. Many people have some idea what they believe the church teaches about the topic and was an opportunity for me to share my experiences over the last 15 years as a way to better educate the faithful. 
Fantastic. Well, it's interesting. It is an interesting topic. Probably lots of misconceptions, and I'd love to uh, definitely unpack some of that today. But um, the the book itself, would you say it is something uh, everyone, anyone can read? Uh, is it recommended for a particular audience or just anyone interested in the topic? I wrote the book at pretty basic levels so yeah. that it would appeal to a broader audience. So it really is to give people that may not have a clear understanding of what the church believes and teaches on the topic and insight so that they can come to a better understanding of what the church does in this ministry. Oftentimes, it's my experience that some people are surprised that the church even still talks about exorcism or still says that they practice it. So my main goal is to educate the faithful so that we can come to a better understanding on what the church uh, teaches on this very important topic. Yeah, so true. Uh, yeah, many people may think it's an old-fashioned thing, or it's not relevant, or it's just something. We, there's a movie on the topic, and or multiple movies, and we just think it's something, some sort of fairy tale. But, but we can confirm, and you can confirm as an exorcist, exorcisms are real. Um, these things do happen. People can be possessed. Can we talk a bit about this topic now and unpack it a little bit, just to sort of um, really paint a picture? This is we're not talking about some make-believe thing here. Um, uh, so, exorcisms. Do <clears throat> I mean have you performed one yourself? If you're the exorcist, have can you tell us uh, here today? Have you have you performed any in your uh, as the exorcist? <laughs> and and how often does that seem to happen? I have uh, yes, I've performed major exorcisms. So the church talks about varying degrees of extraordinary demonic activity, certainly demonic possession, whereby the devil or some other demon will take control of a person's body treating that body as if it were its own. The church also talks about demonic infestation, which is the presence of evil in a location or associated with an object. There's demonic vexation, which are physical attacks that a person is experiencing. And then there is demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. So true demonic possessions are very, they're rare, perhaps one in 5,000 cases. But I've certainly probably performed over a dozen uh, major exorcisms over the last 15 years. But I've done thousands of exorcisms when it comes to infestation, vexation, and obsession. Wow. Wow. So there it is on record. You've seen it with your own eyes. Um, It is real. Uh, How does a case get to you? What what happens? Does someone, a friend of a friend, call you, or does a person themselves seem to call you, uh, or how do the does it go? What's the process, and what are the symptoms here uh, for someone who would be worried to look out for? I will say, just kind of in a broad sense, that every Catholic bishop is an exorcist. Okay, yes. So he is the exorcist in his diocese by virtue of his office, and then if he chooses to do so he can appoint one or more of his priests to do this ministry. So again, I was appointed back in 2005. I received training in Rome in the early part of 2006 from a Franciscan priest. He allowed me to sit in on 40 exorcisms uh, that he performed while I was there. And that, that enabled me to learn firsthand the church's ministry to those who were up against the forces of evil. Some exorcists are publicly known, such as myself, some choose to remain anonymous. So people contact me really because uh, people go online through the internet. So I get all kinds of uh, inquiries. I currently receive about 1,800 calls or emails every year from people all over the world. 
And then I network with other exorcists that I know. I'm a member of the International Association of Exorcists. So there are 750 priests and their helpers throughout the world. So we network together. And then if somebody contacts me from a faraway location, then I try to connect them with the priest in their area. Most dioceses will have some type of protocol put into place. I usually prefer for people to go and talk to their parish priests first, and then to have that parish priest make the initial contact with me. And the importance of that is because the person may need ongoing pastoral care, and that's something that their parish priests will be able to provide once I finish working with the person. Very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Um, interesting uh, about, <clears throat> yeah, there's a network of, of exorcist priests. So we actually are familiar with one particular uh, exorcist or former exorcist, um, Father Jose Fortilla, who came out to Australia about nine years ago. Um, and he's written that book, an interview with an exorcist, or it was, it was an interview play based with him. He came out here and, and uh, from Spain, originally from Spain. I don't think he's an exorcist anymore, but uh, do you know him? Are you, are you connected with him? Just a curiosity. I have met him. Yes. I met, I met Father Fortea at a conference in the uh, state of Oklahoma a few oh, yeah. years ago. So I had the opportunity to uh, sit down and talk with him about some of his experiences which he then he shared with me as well. So it's so important for priests in the ministry to network together. We ourselves are always constantly learning and uh, things that we can share about our own encounters with the demonic that can help us to grow in our understanding on how best to, to defeat the devil in the lives of people who come to us looking for help. Yes. Um, amen. Um, I have to share when when he came out, and that was my first exposure. Um, you know, as a Catholic, um, you hear about the stories from afar, you see the movies, uh, and once you sort of witness for real for, in first hand, it does it does put everything in perspective, and you start to realize, okay, there's confirmation that the devil is real. <laughs> it's not just some make believe, and and we need to be aware of it. There's also a sometimes there can be a bit of a uh, an obsession, but people sort of dwell on it so much. And I remember during that uh, that tour, <clears throat> uh, I personally felt very, um, uh, would I say, distant from God or, or, or dark. And um, it was a very interesting experience because I started to have um, sometimes even suicidal thoughts and all these other things that just popped in my head that I never would have dreamed of. But it was during this tour, and it was very unique to me, um, and when I saw the, you know, um, the reaction of people, when he was simply bless them, and sometimes you get funny reactions. Um, yeah, dwelling on it. And his take home was, don't, don't insult God. <laughs> the, the, the devil is not more powerful than God, so don't fear him. In fact, it's quite beautiful to see people released from this. And your experience, he said, one of the beautiful things is he sees people um, go into the light, and they they lifted this this. Um, oppression or this thing that's dragging them down is lifted from them and and so the power of Christ and the power of the church to 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 free them what what has how has that been for yourself um, to see the um the prayers the impact it has on on those you've prayed over yeah i can share the very first exorcism that i performed after returning from rome was a person possessed by seven demons that named themselves in the person the weakest demons are always the first to go there was one particular demon that told me that it was not going. 
it told me its name was Leviathan, which is the demon mentioned in wow. in the Bible. Yes. And the demon said it did not have to depart since it had been invited in. And uh, just praying with that person, we would probably meet every four to six weeks over the course of a year. And uh, yeah, it's real. Like you said, it's so surreal to deal with the spiritual world because there's a lot of people that just view that as you know, something that maybe perhaps the church has made up. There's some people today, even within the church, would even laugh at the topic of personified evil. Mm. But the church consistently throughout her history has always said that evil is not just something of our own making, but it is personified in what we call the devil and the other fallen angels. Very important. I wonder if any atheist out there has witnessed the nexusism because uh, once you see it, uh, you can't deny the the power of the spiritual of the the invisible world almost becomes visible in your very eyes. And um, if there is evil like that, and then to see them delivered, there also must be good. <laughs> so I find it it's an interesting angle to to prove to atheists God is real, and of course the devil's real. Yeah, I had an atheist uh, I talked to the other day. We were discussing Halloween and how. Mm. People get involved in everything associated with Halloween. It could be a way that people are opening up an entry point to evil in their lives. They might think that everything that surrounds Halloween is just fun and entertaining, but they may not realize that it may actually be giving the devil an entry point into their lives. And this particular person told me, she said, I'm atheist. Obviously, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe in demons. I love everything about Halloween. I like watching scary shows. He goes, why don't I exhibit any characteristics of one who's being tormented by the devil? And my immediate response was, the devil has nothing to gain. He already has you exactly where he wants you to be because you don't believe in him and you don't believe in God. And the devil prefers to work in the shadows, kind of along the periphery, as a way just to lure people in. So I said, really, the devil has nothing to gain because, once again, you're exactly where he wants you to be. Wow, <clears throat> that's a it's a it's a powerful statement. It's a scary statement too, isn't it? If um, for many of us, uh, uh, why? <clears throat> let, let's talk about that now. I mean, Halloween is coming up. Uh, it seems to become part of our Western culture now. It's almost an expected thing every year on the calendar. It's almost going to become a public holiday the way it's going. Um, and you know, <laughs> people seem to think. It is just a bit of fun. Um, it's not as big in Australia, but it is becoming a lot more popular. It's thanks um, to the American culture; it's, it's become such a such a norm. But where did the? Can you touch on? It actually is a Catholic feast. The, the idea of All Hallows Eve. Uh, so, where did we get it wrong? Where did it switch to this sort of Western uh, commercialized sort of party? Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Like Halloween actually is a Catholic uh, liturgical event, uh, All Hallows' Eve. Uh, can you touch on that for us? Yeah, so it is a uh, Catholic celebration on the night before All Saints' Day and then leading up to All Souls' Day on November the 2nd. So it's a time to reflect on the countless holy men and women down through the history of the Church. It's a time to pray for the faithful departed. But then... There was a, a time when, at least here in the United States, some faith cultures would use that as an opportunity to go and visit the graves of the dead. And then oftentimes people wanted to dress up 
as those who were dead so that the spirits of the dead would be confused into thinking that they were just one of their fellow spirits. And then from there, it just really ballooned into something pretty commercialized. And, you know, again, the devil, he's an opportunist and then saw this as an opportunity to advance his kingdom. You know, Americans now spend $9 billion a year on Halloween. So it makes it second only to Christmas itself. You know, here in the United States, people will dress up. They'll go to everything from haunted corn mazes to haunted houses. People do all kinds of things to glorify evil. You know, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with a a kid putting on a costume and, you know, acting like a cowboy or, you know, whatever, and then going and asking for candy. But we have crossed that fine line where we are now glamorizing evil. And the devil is using that as an opportunity to uh, connect with people. That's an important distinction, yeah. There's the line right there. When you glamorize evil, that's when you're entering into dangerous territory. Absolutely. Um, our, for example, uh, we, lots of prayers, uh, um, reparation for uh, many, many places, satanic churches and many people, Black masses are offered up uh, this week. There's a few actually promoted in Australia, um, in Queensland. Please pray for that, people, uh, uh, I don't know, across the states. Um, the black satanic masses, and, and it seems to happen on this day or, or the day before or in the eve of. Uh, um, have you found that yourself in your experience, that the, the increase or the public awareness of these black masses? Uh, um, and what are they? Well... Ultimately, the devil wants to uh, ridicule and mock the church. So obviously, the holy sacrifice of the mass is the the pinnacle Mm. of our faith. So celebrating a black mass would be a way to to mock that belief. Then you look at, you know, Halloween, it's mocking the church's uh, celebration of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. So again, the devil is trying to take things that are important to us and our faith and to ridicule and mock them and really convince people that they're not relevant. Well, that, that, that's, that's, that's a, a good distinction. He's mocking, um, which is very interesting. What would be a way of <clears throat> turning that? So All Saints Day, I know uh, my... my my wife and I, there's a beautiful tradition. We get the kids to dress up as a saint now <laughs> as a way of uh, flipping it into the positive um, on All Hallows' Eve. And so All Saints' Day becomes your heroes. You know, you can dress up as a saint. Um, uh, how do we become countercultural like that? <laughs> Are there, have you seen any examples of, of, a, of a healthy way of celebrating Halloween, so to speak, um, and Catholics, or a response from Catholics? There are some Catholics here in the United States that will, uh, as you just said, encourage children to dress up as their famous or their favorite saint. And then some parishes will actually choose to have some type of a party, maybe in the gymnasium at the parish, just to bring everybody together into a safe environment rather than sending them out on the streets into, uh, you know, a world that cannot be controlled. And certainly within the environment of the church, we can present something that's truly wholesome and holistic to these children. Because ultimately, the things that we celebrate should be, you know, proclaiming the gospel, advancing the kingdom of God. So honoring the holy men and women, the saints of the church is a very positive thing to do. 
and then adding a little fun to it where the kids can play games together in the gym and, you know, get candy or drink lemonade, whatever it might be. It turns kind of a catechetical moment into a fun moment as well. Because that's the challenge we face today. I think so many people just view the church as something outdated. It's boring. It's the same old thing. But uh, we look for new ways to constantly evangelize and bring the faith to people. And I think, you know, we can lament what Halloween has become, or we can choose to take a positive approach to it and say, we're going to turn this around again and rediscover what the celebration is truly all about. Because again, it's about honoring and glorifying God through his saints, and certainly not about glorifying the devil and his demons. Yes, amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, just one, maybe one final word on Halloween, and then we could move into the book a bit more. But while we're on Halloween, trick or treating. Uh, if 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 we see now, children are ignorant of this, right? So they just think it's a bit of fun. It's really the adults we need to educate and then and, and remind them to stop pushing our, our kids to be dressing up as as dead people. <laughs> um, but uh, if 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 you find if you're a Catholic, you're finding someone does knock on your door. How, just to be a bit balanced, how do we respond to kids who just want to have a bit of fun? We've got to be careful. How do we pick our battles here um, in response? Do we shut the door in the face and say, that's demonic and it's evil, go away? Or what's the best way to respond? Do you still give them a bit of lollies, a treat? What do you do if someone's trick-or-treating? What's a Catholic response in this case? I know of a few Catholics. They'll give them, you know, the treat. They'll give them a piece of candy, but they may give them a a holy card of a particular saint Very nice. that says something about the life of that particular holy man or woman. So it gives an opportunity to kind of blend the two together. Here's the candy that the kid is looking for, but here's the holy card that has the image of the saint and says something a bit about their life. So again, it can become a teachable moment. Very good. Very, very good. Let's, 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 let's turn it around this year. There's a challenge for all of you watching. Let's give a holy card. This, this, um, Halloween. If anyone comes to your door, give them a treat, but give them a holy card as well. Plant that seed and let's let's turn yeah. this around. Let's make it an All Saints Day feast. You got you got to give both of them. You can't just give the holy card. They might. That's think, right. They wow. need to take the treat. <laughs> That's I right. know some children that told me one year they go, "Don't go to that particular house." That yeah. man's a dentist. All he's doing now is no. That's right. <laughs> so the kids avoided that. So don't make them avoid your house by just giving the holy card. Give them the holy card. To give them a treat as well. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Well, thank you. Um, now, very fascinating your book. The table of contents alone, <clears throat> the topics are just phenomenal. Just, just these questions, Father. If I could, if I could just mention a few. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, who is the devil? You've got these questions of who is the devil, the extraordinary activity of the devil, which we're sort of touching on here. What is exorcism? Practical insights from the Gospel of Mark. You've got the right of exorcism that you explain in the book, which is very interesting. Playing the devil's game. You have um, then American protocol and diocesan protocol. That's interesting just for um, that could be local on a diocesan level. Uh, The ordinary activity of the devil. You also have a chapter to priests. You have a chapter, breast practices to fend off the devil. So that might be interesting to touch on. And the victory that belongs to Christ. I love the way to finish and some prayers. Could we just, if I was to pick a few of these chapters out today, just to unpack a bit. So who is the devil? Can we start there? Who is the devil? That's a good thing because oftentimes people may think they know or understand who the devil is, but Mm. I wanted to clarify that in my book. So, you know, every creature of God was created good. 
God gave us free will. So Lucifer, the greatest of the angelic choir, uh, chose to use his free will to rebel against God. And then his desire to rebel reverberated through the entire uh, choir of angels, the nine choirs of angels. And then one third of the angels fell with him. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. So when he chose to rebel against God, that thought went through the entire angelic choir. And then one third of them embraced the decision to reject God. So that's where Lucifer then becomes Satan, the devil. And then one third of the angelic choir becomes his demons. That was, um, and it was, it's an important point uh, that God, he did have that test. Um, otherwise, God would have been an evil God just to do, just to create the devil like that. But he actually gave him a test. And so he had free will as, as Lucifer, the, the angel of light, um, freely chose to reject God. And that's the point here, isn't it? It's, it's not that God created Satan. He didn't plan to just create Satan. He gave him free will and he chose to reject God. Yes, because everything again that God creates is good. Yes, you know, we, you think about humanity. When God created everything, He found it good. But when God created the human person, He found the human person very good, mm. because the human person is in the image and likeness of God. You no, know, Lucifer is pure, you know, intellect and will. You no, know, doesn't have, you know, matter and form as we do, but then chose to use what God gave him. To reject God because God creates, God created the angelic world. He gave them uh, knowledge of the natural order, if you will, and then basically said, "With the knowledge I have given you, will you now choose to embrace me and unite your will with the divine will?" And ultimately, that's what God is asking of all of us as well. You know, we have free will, but you know, it's Saint John Paul II that says. To truly be free means to live in the manner that God created us to live. So obedience and freedom go hand in hand from a Christian perspective. So when we are obedient to God and we live in the manner that God created us to live, that's what it truly means to be free. St. John Paul II would say, if we believe that freedom means we can do whatever we want, then we end up becoming slaves to our own passions and desires. And ultimately, that's what happened to Lucifer. You know, he became, you know, a slave to his own passions and desires. And he knows that that humanity is still capable of that which he has rejected, Mm -hmm. namely to be with God for all eternity. So he attacks humans as a way to see if he can get us to reject God. The best way to put it would be misery loves company. Satan and his demons are in misery and they want humanity to join him. Wow, fascinating. Um, what an important point you just touched on, freedom and the uh, the idea of freedom, the false false uh, understanding of what freedom is where we can do whatever we want and it's almost like, <clears throat> hang on, that if you follow that all the way through to its end, you become a slave to those things that you are desiring all the time and so pleasures and pleasure-seeking and it just becomes all about ourselves, doesn't it? And we can't actually control ourselves anymore. We become addicted to those things of drugs and alcohol or whatever it is. It's now it's or video games or we be, mm-hmm. we can be addicted to anything right now. Movies and music and anything taking us away from God. But but the true sense of freedom there. Um, can we get the definition there? Um, so so to be truly free, 
What does the church say there? To truly be free means to live in the manner that God created us to live. So you can think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When were they truly free? When they were obedient to God, when he said, you may eat of any of the the trees here in the garden except for this one. So when they were obedient to God, they were free. But when they chose to rebel against God is when they lost the true sense of freedom. And, you know, that all touched on, you know, one of the things in my book I talk about is the ordinary activity of the devil. And this kind of ties Mm -hmm. into our conversation because very few of us will have to ever worry about the extraordinary activity of the devil. Again, that's the infestation, the vexation, the obsession and possession. But all of us do need to be aware of how the devil tries to trip us up in our daily lives. And the things that I touch on in my book are the devil and his ordinary plan of attack against us. There are words that all begin with the letter D. Begins with deception. It leads to division, which leads to diversion, which leads to discouragement. You even shared a little bit about your own journey with Father Fortea, maybe suicidal thoughts that crept up. So as the devil did in the Garden of Eden, deception, he tries to get us to buy into a lie. When we buy into a lie, we're no longer on the path that God has laid out for us. That leads us into division. We feel broken on the inside. And when we're broken, then obviously we're not following the path of God. So that's diversion. So deception leads to division, which leads to diversion, and it ends up in discouragement. We all, we lose a sense of hope. Oftentimes people may think about taking their own life. There really is no ultimate meaning and purpose in life. We go back to St. Augustine. You know, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in you. The human person has the innate desire for God. And when we do not pursue God, because the devil has gotten us off the pathway, then our lives begin to unravel and we begin to have no sense of meaning, purpose, or direction in our lives. And I believe that when we arrive at discouragement, it's a crossroads. Discouragement will either lead us to death. It will always be spiritual, sometimes physical, but it could also be a moment of discipleship. Again, we think of John Paul II's new evangelization. So that could be an opportunity to really go out and re-evangelize people. And I really think that's what exorcism ministry is all about. It's about re-evangelizing people to help people to rediscover the person of Jesus Christ in their life. Because I believe there's a lot of people today that wear the label of being a Christian, but they absolutely have no relationship with Jesus Christ. So they really don't know who he is. And I think that's what the church needs to address today is the fact that we really don't know Christ. And in the ministry of exorcism, for me, I like to speak about the topic because it's about bringing the light of Jesus Christ to people who are in darkness whether that's due to the, to the extraordinary activity of the devil or to the ordinary activity of the devil. Wow. This is fascinating. Uh, um, Father, th- what you're saying there, and um, I mean, there's so many more questions uh, just on this alone, but uh, we are fascinated with the extraordinary, and it's so true. What is it that attracts us, I guess? <clears throat> People want to know these stories, these um you know what can you touch on just maybe maybe now just very little bit before because i do want to talk about being careful of taking it too far and not 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 
overindulging in in the devil. But um, and then talking about the later on uh, the difference between mental uh, illness and 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 possession. But but before jumping into that, can we touch on some stories of, of some extreme cases, just to just to emphasise the how far this can go. Um, just for those who are who are still doubting, oh yeah, the devil's not real. Um, can we touch on something that a couple of examples you may have witnessed or stories you know of? Yes, I'm happy to share some of my experiences. Again, the human person is God's greatest creation, and so again, because the devil wants to mock God, mm-hmm. you know, just as much whether it's through our celebrations like All Hallows Eve, whether it's the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So, you know, the greatest thing that God ever did for us was to take on human form in the person of Jesus Christ. So the incarnation, so the devil in his own twisted sense believes that he takes on human form by possessing a human person. And then trying, once the possession takes place, to really make that person look to be something really hideous and grotesque. So I did an exorcism recently. Everybody loves stories. I know that. And yeah. <laughs> from an exorcist perspective, the focus is always on the power of Christ and what he's doing in yes. this particular ministry of the church. But I was meeting with a lady who uh, was sharing with me that uh, growing up in another country, her father began to rape her at the age of seven. And uh, she said this went on for over a period of five years when she turned 12. She said her her father turned his attention to her younger sister. She then, even though she grew up in a Catholic home, she left the church because she thought, you know, this is if this is what the church is all about, because her dad went to church and all of that, then there's something has to be wrong. She turned to people involved in the occult who promised that they could help fix the brokenness in her life. But that only left her feeling even more broken. So She's sharing with me the story and she begins to just sob and she looks at me and she says, can you help me? And I looked her right in the eyes and I said, Jesus Christ is going to help you. As soon as those words came out of my mouth, her eyeballs turned green and her pupils became slanted like a serpent. And this deep voice came out of her mouth and said, who's he? He has no power over us. And the friend that had come with her literally jumped over the table to get away from her. The other priest that was with me, he dropped to his knees and began saying Hail Marys right away. And I went over immediately and I put my hand on the head of the person and the the demon looked at me and said, you can't get rid of us. We've been here too long and you're not strong enough. And then I reached into my pocket and took out some holy water and I blessed the person and said a prayer, and then the demon collapsed on the ground and began to shriek. And then a week later, I arranged to do a formal exorcism because things need to be taken according to the proper protocol of the church. We were just in an office, and I knew that was not really the proper place to do an exorcism. Exorcisms are always performed in a sacred space, so in a church or in a chapel. So I arranged for that to take place the following week, and we were in the room praying soon as we began praying, there's the green eyes again, and the pupils slanted like a serpent. The demon is laughing and mocking at me, cussing at me. And uh, I breathed on the face of the person, which is a part of the ritual, invoking the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on the face of his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And so I did that. And when I did, and I just breathed very slightly, you'd have thought a hurricane force wind hit the person. The chair flew back probably, I don't know, five meters or more. Wow. Hit the wall. The person shrieked, flew out of the chair, fell onto the ground. Myself and the other priest picked this person up and uh, she's beaming as bright as the sun. All the presence of the demonic <laughs> is was gone at that particular moment. And then afterwards, I put her under the care of her parish priest. And to this day, she goes to mass every week. She spends time in praying. She receives the sacraments. And there's been no return of the demonic in her life. Price Another God. case, the woman I had mentioned earlier that was possessed by seven demons. So six of them were immediately cast out. The demon Leviathan refused to leave because it had been invited in, which was true. This particular lady believed that a friend of hers was possessed. So she went up and looked her in the eye and said, whatever in you, I freely invite to come into me. No sooner did the words come out of her mouth that she felt something come over her. Misguided notion of charity to say those words. And so this particular demon, I was commanding it to leave. And we were in a chapel at, at a convent doing the exorcism prayers. And the demon, when it manifested, began to scream and then laugh uncontrollably. And then told me that I needed to stop praying because if I would stop praying, then it would stop screaming. He said, if it kept on screaming, the people were going to come and see what I was doing, and I was going to have to stop anyway. So I commanded the demon to obey me in all things, even though an unworthy minister of Christ, to say the words, Hail Mary, full of grace, and to leave immediately. The demon looked at me and laughed and goes, Grace of fool, scrambled the words, but didn't say the name of our blessed mother. And then I again commanded the demon to obey me to say the words in the manner that I told it to say it and to depart immediately. And then the demon that had been speaking in this very deep and authoritative voice looked at me in a child's voice said, Hail Mary, full of grace. There was a shriek and every manifestation of evil stopped before you could snap your fingers. <laughs> I'm speechless. I mean, <clears throat> this if that's, that's just two examples. Uh, if people uh, want to know if it's real, I think you've just nailed it on the head. I think you've clarified for us. Now, that's what can happen. Um, wow. Absolutely. But, yes. Um, okay. How, how do we get to that stage? You talked about inviting demons in. How do we expose ourselves or how do we open up ourselves? Uh, because it, uh, just to clarify, not for those who are probably thinking, I don't want to be possessed and who are probably fearful right now, um, it, can you clarify how does the demon possess someone? How, how does it happen? Does someone invite him in or does, does he go for the holy ones? Or like, what, what happens there? Well, the truth is that nobody has to be concerned about the devil if we're truly living out our faith. Mm. So I like to say as a Catholic, if you're going to Mass, if you're receiving the sacraments, if you're praying, you're reading the word of God, the devil's already on the run. But it's when we don't live out our faith that perhaps we're creating an entry point to evil. So an exorcist in working with somebody will always try to determine where was the entry point? How did the person open up a doorway to evil in their lives? And there are some dominant ways that I've seen over the years. So ties to the occult. So people dabble in practices that are associated with 
Satanism, magic, uh, witchcraft, uh, playing with Ouija boards. You know, oftentimes people may think that things that are associated with the occult are just fun and entertaining. That may be our perspective, but it doesn't mean that the devil doesn't have another motive as an opportunity to use those things for us to be drawn into the world of evil. So ties to the occult, I would say the entertainment industry today. People are fascinated, especially here in the States, with anything that has to do with the devil right now and ghost hunting, paranormal activity. Again, when we get fascinated with the devil, he's going to use it as a hook to try to draw us even more deeper into that. There are certain types of literature today that talk about magic and you know, casting spells and curses on people. And literature today can be very catechetical in nature because it's teaching our young people that evil is not something bad. And I always like to remind people that all magic is inherently evil. And I don't mean the illusionist, you know, pulling a rabbit out of your hat. But magic in the true sense of the word, whereby somebody is trying to gain some power or control over another individual. All of these practices are condemned. They're in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, because when people turn to anything associated with the occult, when they get really fixated on literature that focuses on the occult, then we're violating the first commandment. We're trying to put something else in place of God. And that something else, whether or not we fully understand it, is the devil himself. Wow. Thank you very much for for clarifying that. Um, <clears throat> it's so true. We are so um, fascinated just for entertainment purposes. And it, it, we're entering into dangerous ground. Let's be very careful and aware of ourselves. I do remember dabbling in... <clears throat> um, when when I was first uh, exposed or fascinated with the topic, started to look at some of the lyrics of some of the songs we sing, and it's quite alarming when you when you when you uh, read them. There are there are some lyrics of some songs, and we've got to be careful of this. But invoking the demons or invoking Satan, even wanting to um, you know have sexual relations or things like that, have a relationship with, with the devil. Now, people might just look at that as, oh, it's just a bit of fun or a bit of whatever. And, and the, the music's quite hypnotic and it's quite, uh, um, it, it, you know, it, it can draw you in and, you know, and, and it's got the, the different beats and the rhythms and the melody and you're drawn in and you're starting to sing along and it repeat and all of a sudden you don't realise, hang on, what am I singing? <laughs> and you just got to yeah. cut it. <laughs> um, and there are, it's, it's not just one or two songs. It's quite alarming, but quite th- throughout popular songs that our kids could be singing um, and people may not realize because it's just a, a fun tune. And again, that's how the devil operates in very quiet and subtle ways. You know, oftentimes we're in his grasp before we even really realize it. Wow. Again, that's why I think it's so important for, you know, us to be fully awake, if you will, and be living out our faith. You know, there's, you know, in scripture, it talks about awake, O sleeper, arise from, you know, and Christ will give you life. He'll give you life. And there's just a lot of people today that are spiritually asleep. You know, there was a recent study here in the United States where uh, more people now believe in the devil than they believe in God in a study that was conducted. So 54% of Americans say that they believe in the devil. 
Wow. But the number that believe in God is much less than that. And that's quite alarming when, again, now the focus is on the devil rather than on God. Yes, that's quite alarming. The difference, the church does move slowly. They don't jump to conclusions in its wisdom and prudence. Not everything is of a possession. Um, could you speak to that? So sometimes there is um, issues with mental illness. So people might have some form of mental illness. And when do you sort of know based on the symptoms to send someone to the doctor or send someone to an exorcist. Could you touch on that topic? Uh, because we can assume everything is from the devil and sometimes it's not not the case. That's absolutely true because we shouldn't get so, we shouldn't reach the point where we just see the devil everywhere. That would be an unhealthy place to go. Mm. So here in the United States, you know, every country needs to create their own protocol. In the United States, the protocol that we follow is you know, I have to reach moral certitude. I have to believe beyond a doubt that the person in front of me is truly possessed. So here in the States, we would require the person to have some type of a psychiatric evaluation by a mental health expert, and then also a physical examination by a medical doctor. So the church is asking experts in these two fields to weigh in on the matter and basically to say, is there anything about this person's condition that is outside of your scope of expertise. It is important to note that the church is not asking the psychiatrist or the doctor, do you think this person is possessed? The church herself will make that determination. But again, the church wants to make the best possible diagnosis and so wants experts in these fields to weigh in on the matter. There are signs of demonic possession that the church has identified or even mentioned in the ritual of exorcism. So certain things that I would look for the ability to speak and understand languages otherwise unknown to the individual, exhibiting superhuman strength, having elevated perception, knowledge about things that a person should not otherwise know, and then an aversion to anything of a sacred nature, such as being blessed with holy water, being shown a crucifix, having a relic placed on your head during a prayer, being shown a Bible. Those could be signs of demonic presence. There could also be manifestations, eyes rolled in the back of the head, foaming at the mouth, bodily contortions, a change in the temperature of the room, uh, really bad odors. So again, there are things that I would look for when I meet with a person. But once again, I do want experts in the mental health field and the medical field to weigh in on the matter so that I can reach that moral certitude. Yeah, very good. No, thank you. Uh, that list you're just going off is just fascinating. That's all in the book, right? You have all this written down in the book, and people can go and and yes, and, all and that is themselves. listed right there in the book. Uh huh. Wow, wow. In the final minute we have here, Father, um, I love the last two chapters. What you've got here, you've got the best practices to fend off the devil, and then you've got the victory belongs to Christ. Could we close on some sort of final word here for us? A bit of hope, <laughs> a bit of uh, some <laughs> advice <laughs> for those watching. And the victory does belong to Christ. Yes. I tell people, I don't have any special powers or abilities. If we're relying on me as the person, we're all in trouble. But if we're relying on the person of Jesus Christ and the power and the authority that he has given to his church and through his ministers, the priest, especially those that have been um, appointed to the ministry of exorcism, that's the best place to be. The priest that trained me in Rome, he was a Franciscan priest. He told me just before I left, if I'm ever doing an exorcism, he goes, and you think for a brief second to yourself, wow, look at what I'm doing. 
He said, you've just walked on unholy ground. He said, the focus must always be on Christ and never on yourself as an individual. Again, that's why the victory does belong to Christ. This is his ministry. You know, Christ wants to save those that the devil is trying to bring into his realm. A good way of looking at an exorcism is that it's a command to the devil to return that which he has stolen, namely a person created in the image and likeness of God who is now turning to the church and asking for help. You know, just because someone is possessed doesn't mean that they're lost forever. Something of the person always remains free and the part that remains free and asks for the help of the church. Here's another great story. There was a uh, another woman in Rome, one of the exorcisms that I was able to participate in. She uh, shared with me that her mother had dedicated her to Satan when she was born. She underwent all kinds of satanic rituals and practices up until the time she was around 12. She ran away from home, ended up on the streets of Rome, began working with Father Carmine, the priest that trained me when she was about 18. He was able to cast the demons out of her. She went on to become a nun and then dedicated her life to Christ and working with uh, children on the street. She knew what it was like to be out there on, the, on your own. And so she dedicated her life to make a positive difference in the lives of other young people. The story is a great one because it reminds us we can never, ever be lost to God if we truly want to be found. God is always looking for us. You think of when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, God called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? God always looks for us. The story of the prodigal son, the father is always on the lookout for our return. So all of us need to realize that the devil is nothing to fear. A great analogy I like to have is if a room is infested with cockroaches and you walk into the room and turn on a light, the bugs will scurry for every crack and crevice. In an exorcism, the church is throwing the light of Jesus Christ on those who are held in the darkness of the grip of the devil and his demons, and in doing so, causing the demons to scurry, to crawl away, so that the person can truly now live in the light of Jesus Christ. Wow. Oh, that's a great one to finish on. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Father. Um, thank you for doing what you're doing, um, praying for you, um, praying for the also the, the education of those reading this book. I hope this gets widespread. I encourage everyone watching now, go to uh, our, those on, on this um, network, perusiamedia.com, click on store and you'll see uh, under the new releases, you can now pre-order this very book, Exorcisms um, and and. I mean the subtitling, how to the battle against Satan and his demons, uh, by Father Vincent Lampert. Uh, get it twenty four ninety five ninety nine Australian. That's about sixteen seventeen dollars US. So it's equivalent to the same price you're paying in the US, and uh, it's locally printed here uh, now as of, of the new agreement St Paul's. And uh, we hope to educate as many of you as possible. Please grab a copy. Everyone should have one of these in their home. Read about it. Um, and just so we can be educated, it's, it's a rock-solid book of t- church teaching and, and, and really arm yourself with the knowledge here. And let's not get too carried away of what Hollywood want us to do, but what does the church want us to do? And this is quite a beautiful way of understanding this topic, a very important one as well. Um, thank you very much for doing this, Father. Thank you for coming on the show. Love to have you on again one day um, down the track as well and maybe share some more stories. And if you're ever in a position to come to Australia, we'd love to have you as well. That would be great. Yeah, I'm happy to speak anytime. Again, my goal is to help educate 
people. And again, the focus in all this always needs to be on what God is doing, not what the devil is doing. So the devil is truly nothing to fear. Amen. Um, uh, do you have a website, or is there a way people can uh, be in touch with you somehow? Or, or uh, uh, the book is probably the only way. Can you let us know if there's a way of getting in touch with you? Uh, actually, I do have a um, an email address for people who have questions. Okay. It's uh, info, I-N-F-O, so info at exorcismanswers.com, info at exorcismanswers.com. There's a lady that works with me that helps, uh, you know, go through all the inquiries and calls that we get and... Yeah, it's a great way that we like to uh, help educate people and perhaps direct them to the, the help in their local area where they can find it so that, you know, anybody that believes they're up against evil doesn't need to, to live with that. There are people out there that want to help. Certainly the church wants to help. So we want to help people make the right connections. Oh, thank you. That's fantastic. Um, info at exorcismanswers.com. Yes. Fantastic. We'll put that in the comments below as well um, and make sure people are aware of that. Thank you. Uh, we are out of time. I want to thank you again. Is it possible to get a final sort of prayer um, and blessing uh, for our viewers? Yes. Let's, I'd be happy to offer a prayer of blessing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. May Almighty God send his blessing upon all of you. May he constantly watch over, bless, and protect you. May you know the presence of God in your life to defeat any presence of evil that may be out trying to attack you. And may Almighty God send his blessing upon all of you now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. That's Father Vincent Lampert, author of Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and Demons. Thank you once again, Father, um, and, and bless you. And, and I'll be in touch with you via email, and, um, and I'm looking forward to uh, continuing uh, our, our relationship and, and, and being in touch with each other. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Charbel. Take care. God bless you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, everyone. That's another Perusia podcast, and, and what, a, what an amazing topic. We, let, please pray for Father and, uh, and the great work. And don't forget, get your copy today. Uh, go to perusiamedia.com and grab that again. <laughs>